0: You know, I think a lot of small businesses, for example, feel like SEO is something that's unapproachable because they don't have the big teams. And that's not necessarily true. You really just want to be mindful about what are the things that I, as a business, want to be known for, and then create some content, create some pages on your website that answer those questions. And so think about the common questions that people are asking about the type of business that you have.
1: Welcome, B2B startups, change-ups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. The Google algorithm is the Coca-Cola formula of the modern ages. No one knows what's in it for sure, but there is a way to peer into the algorithm and see what words your customers are searching most and what words your competitors are ranking for. For hard numbers on keywords that drive traffic to my site, I use SEMrush. They have the largest, freshest database of keywords. And for a limited time, you can get two weeks of SEMrush free at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEMrush. This is a special offer that won't last. So if you want two weeks of free keyword research, go to ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEMrush right now and claim this deal. Our guest today is Katie Robert. She is CEO of Trust Insights. They are an authority on data analytics and uh, data accuracy and data management. She has extensive experience in SEO and data analytics. And prior to that, she built and grew multi-million-dollar lines of business in the marketing technology, pharmaceutical, and healthcare industries. She is Google analytics certified and has a master of science in marketing and technological innovation. Katie, welcome back.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me
1: back. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were having that great conversation in the last episode about this sort of Google's page quality guidelines for reviewers. And I'd like to, you know, drill down a little deeper on that if we can. Um, and I was hoping we could start with uh, something that you pulled out and and uh, and blurbed in your report that you wrote Um on powering modern SEO with uh, social media data. And there's a link to that report in the show notes for the podcast if you want to download it. But in there, it says uh, for artistic content, Google says high quality content uh, is unique. And you also mention in your process of sort of reverse engineering keywords based on social data um, that you can use TalkWalker's visual insights to get a sense of the most relevant and engaging content in your sector, and sort of use it as a proxy for emulating authoritative consensus, explain that to us.
0: <laughs> well, that was definitely a mouthful. Um, and so, essentially, what it boils down to is: so, if you look at Google Voice and uh, Google Photos, for example, those are free things that you know people consumers can use. Google is using the information that people upload into that to then train their AI on visuals that they can understand. And so, you know, the example that we always give is, um, you know, pictures of animals, cats and dogs. And so, you know, if you, cause if you look in Google photos, it asks you like, what is this a picture of, can you, you know, categorize this thing for me? And so basically Google is having you do some of the work for them in terms of creating that test, uh, that training data set for their algorithm, um, So that when they are looking at, you know, devaluing stock imagery, for example, it's there's so much common stock imagery that they're going to say, like, we only want, you know, two of the five that are a little bit more unique, but it's also, you know, is it easy to understand? Can they use their test data set based on what we, the consumers have given them to say, I understand what this is a picture of. And so it's going to discount anything that it can't understand. Um, after all of the millions and billions of imager- images, and um, I guess the Google Voice uh, piece of it as well, like everything that it's understanding and absorbing um, is then applying to its AI to say, "We know what this is." Basically, so we're doing—we're actually doing the hard work for Google—is the bottom line.
1: So you know. I spoke to um, uh, uh, Doug Kessler who runs an agency called Velocity Partners and they do B2B content marketing and they have like major clients, they do big projects. And he was saying, you know, we're in this sort of content, this B2B content deluge with so much crap out there. It's like, I get daily these emails from people who want to write for my blog. And like, you know, when I was just getting started, I was like, yeah, send me something. And I would just get these, you know, 800 word posts of just nothingness, like just all stop words. I mean, it was just like, there's no, there was no there, there at all. They weren't even readable. And it's like, there's so much of that out there. And one of the things you see in a lot of those blog posts are these, you know, unsplash photos or, you know, Adobe photos, this sort of stock photography. And I wonder if, you know, if Google says that high value high value content is unique, mm-hmm. I wonder if using stock photo devalues your content in the eyes of Google.
0: It seems to. So you're always best off using your own photos um, because they are unique. You own them and you're not going to see 800 other websites with the exact same cover photos. So my personal website, katierobert.com, is one that we stood up uh, as a test to demonstrate how to set up, you know, your personal brand website. So if you go there, you're definitely going to be disappointed in terms of the content that's on it, uh, because I don't maintain it. And one of the things that uh, we were sort of chuckling about when we were setting it up was that the uh, stock photo that I picked is you know it came out of uh, WordPress, which was the um, how we were powering the website, but it's a stock photo, and I've seen that same stock photo on probably at least fifty other websites in the same space because it's a picture of you know coffee and a plant and you know some a desk, and you're probably picturing it now right. like a little succulent plant. Yeah, um, and it's very pretty, but it's not unique. I would be better off taking a picture from my own office of my own plants that may not be as polished, but it's unique, it's authentic, and it's something that Google can say, nobody else has this picture.
1: Yeah. Images are tough. Like, it's not enough to, you know, pull the keywords from Talkwalker, Mm -hmm. uh, put them into SEMrush for volume, Mm -hmm. write interesting content that's genuinely compelling and not me too you know, and get original artwork. I mean, it's like you're in the media business, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, there's a reason why there are these subspecialties in terms of content writers. So anybody can write a blog post. That doesn't mean that it's any good. It could be 800 words of fluff, but people really specialize in doing that hardcore research to make sure that it's original thoughts original opinions very specific keywords um, you know your best bet is to use some sort of a framework or an outline and i believe um, the paid version of sunbrush actually gives you some of those starter outlines uh, for content writers or you can outsource them to their writers as well um, because they've really focused in on they're like yep writing good content is not easy so let us help you get half the way there by giving you those, you know, starter questions, the questions that you should be answering for people in order to have really good content. Um, We talk a lot when we're talking with our clients and when we're explaining really good content strategy, we talk about the hero hub help framework. And so the majority of your content should be the help. How do I, what do I, what is, and so you're answering those questions versus just trying to rank for one specific keyword. You're really thinking about the user intent when they're looking for, you know, how do I set up Google Analytics is probably easier to rank for than just straight Google Analytics as a term.
1: Um, Google says, uh, and this is from your white paper, again, the Powering Modern SEO with Social Media Data uh, white paper, and there's a link in the show notes for it if you want to download that. but you, you, you pull out from this Google Page Reviewer's Guidelines document uh, this quote, which says, Google says informational content has a, quote, very high quality main content. Uh, it says, let me start it over again. Google says informa- informational content uh, has very high quality main content. And main content is capitalized. What is main content?
0: Um, It's the main part of the page. It's not the navigation or anything else. So if you look at a Trust Insights page, for example, we have that whole sidebar with you might also like or some other resources. So the main content is the content itself. It's the content that you've written specifically um, about that topic.
1: Got it. So it's not like it's, it's your pages versus your posts. Right. Um, and with respect to, um, it also says, you know, uh, high-quality main content is original, accurate, comprehensive, mm-hmm. clearly communicated, professionally presented, and should reflect ex- expert consensus as appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, so let's break that down a little for, for a minute here. Um, The original is easy enough. The comprehensive is easy enough, but accurate. That seems like that's a little bit more elusive. So talk me through, I guess, you know, what you're hearing in SEO circles about how Google is determining accuracy.
0: So it's, um, you know, A really good example uh, that people can probably really wrap their heads around is Facebook. I know we're talking about Google, but Facebook, for example, Twitter, for example, they're really trying to um, not share comments and news articles that they deem inaccurate. A lot of it is around the vaccine right now, the accuracy, the efficacy of the vaccine. And so Google's trying to do the same thing as it's reviewing your content. So if you are straight up saying you know, the war of 1812 happened in 1920, then that's obviously inaccurate information and it's gonna flag you for that. So it's trying to fact check uh, scientific, credible, historical resources as best it can. And so basically it's trying to make sure you're not just blatantly lying about something. Um, You know, obviously there's the thing, there's the facts that it can check and then there's opinions. And so that's where it gets into sort of that gray area. Um, like I could state in an opinion, I think the war of 1812 happened in 1920. I don't for the record. Um, but that's my opinion. And so Google is going to have a harder time. Fact checking It's going to flag it. Be like, I think you're wrong. And I could fight Google as much as I want. I'll, I'll lose to Google ultimately, but you know, it's trying to figure out, you know, how much of this can we fact check. And a lot of it comes down to that those historical facts, those scientific facts.
1: I guess expert consensus would be a little bit easier to determine, but you'd have to be able to figure out who's an expert. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Like I know some people are you know, adding uh, their publications to their bio pages and trying to build mm-hmm. out sort of bio pages on their website that reflect their expertise so that Google can see that. Um, you know, if you're a published author and you have a an Amazon, what's it called? Amazon Author Central page, mm-hmm. you could link to that and also link from the Amazon uh, author page back to you. That would show you as, um, you know, interesting, I'll, I'll give you just a little snippet. I got a call from these guys, a group of doctors who are trying to promote the use of an existing drug uh, for parasites um, to help stop the spread of covid and this is not to treat covid this would be a therapeutic to stop the spread and they're they're doing all these clinical tests in south america and it you know where people are dwelling in denser living conditions and they're finding that it's really effective but they're getting blackballed by google from search just because google's choking on the fact that ivermectin has nothing to do with COVID-19 as far as the expert consensus. But I mean, these guys are testifying in in front of Congress that they are in Mm -hmm. fact experts, they're all published, they've been published in all these medical journals and they're trying to figure it out. And of course they're having a difficult time because Google's AI is choking on the fact Mm -hmm. that they don't conform to the the, 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 um, consensus, I guess would be the word.
0: Yeah. New cutting edge research is always the hardest for an algorithm such as Google to understand. Because again, it needs that test data, that historical data in order to say, yes, this is a thing. So part of my background is in academia. And so when we were doing clinical trials, you have to present your hypothesis to a group of peers. And your hypothesis has to be heavily cited, lots of citations of, research and trials that have come before you. And so Google's version of that is Google Scholar. And so Google Scholar is comprised of those experts that you were mentioning. And if this is research that nobody has ever seen before, they're going to struggle with it because they have nothing to validate it against. And that's why it's choking on it. It's not to say that the research is inaccurate. There's just no precedent for it.
1: Now, SEO is just one piece in the digital marketing puzzle. To understand all the pieces and how they fit together, download my new essential digital marketing skills guide and get an overview of the most in-demand digital marketing skills for 2021. And you can download it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash essential skills. Kitty, I know you also have a lot of experience in um, in compliance, and I wanted to get a better understanding of some of the trademark liabilities of SEO. Are there some sort of common things you see uh, around, you know, SEO in the trademark space?
0: Um, There are. A lot of them are hashtags or common terms. Someone actually just asked this question recently in our uh, Slack group, Analytics for Marketers. Um, And basically they were, they had been contacted by a company um, saying you can't, is cease and desist. You can't use, you know, this specific phrase. It was something very common, um, you know, like audience analysis, for example. I forget what the exact phrase was, and a company had trademarked the phrase that this other company was just trying to use casually to explain something. And so after contacting their lawyers, the lawyer said, yep, the way in which you're using it is not trademark infringement. Um, a really good example of this is um, my good friend, Ginny Dietrich, developed the PESO model. Um, and she's constantly having to contact companies who are using the term PESO and not giving her credit for it, um, and so it's just being aware of you know the original source of a term. Um, like you can obviously use proper terms like Google Analytics, but you can't then claim that you invented Google Analytics if, unless you're Google. Um, you can't claim you invented peso unless you're unless you're Jenny. But um, hashtags, casual terms like those are up for grabs. You might get contacted. Um, so. A really good slash terrible example of this is the Kardashians. And so the Kardashians are, you know, I'm going to put quote unquote internet influencers, and they are constantly trying to trademark certain phrases, casual phrases that we all use all the time so that every time somebody uses them, they get paid some sort of uh, fee for us using that term. Like, you know, back in the 90s, now I'm dating myself, Paris Hilton used to say, that's hot. And so she was trying to trademark the term that's hot so that anytime anybody else used that term, she would be able to collect some sort of a royalty on it. And that's that's where it starts to get into sort of that ridiculous um, you know area of trademarking terms and phrases and then what you as an SEO person can do about getting around that.
1: But um, can I could I like if I wanted to rank for trust insights. And I wrote a blog post that said, um, you know, uh, Google analytics, uh, trust insights, Google analytics for demo or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I SEO that and I started ranking for trust insights because I had this blog post about Mm -hmm. how you guys were advising people on doing Google analytics for setup. Is Mm -hmm. that, does that infringe on a trademark? If, trust insights is trademarked
0: it does um you know so it, it then comes down to the decision of the company of what you want to do about it so if you wrote a blog post um saying trust insights consults on google analytics for setups and it started ranking really well but there was no link back to us then we would take issue with that but if there's a link back to us we'd say great thank you for the free traffic
1: and, and do you think that's kind, of the, uh, that's kind of the standard in the industry? It's fine to mention someone as long as you attribute?
0: That seems to be exactly what it is. And so it's the same thing, you know, in the academic world, you can reference something, but you have to uh, correctly cite it or else you're basically going to have all of your research discredited because it looks like plagiarism. If you take that theory and apply it then to marketing content, it's the same sort of thing. You can talk about trust insights all day long, And what we do, as long as you attribute it back to us, you know, being the source of that. So some sort of a link to our website, you know, Trust Insights is comprised of, you know, wonderful, lovely people who will help you all day long, you know, making sure that people know that you are not Trust Insights, that you are just referencing Trust Insights and here's how to find out
1: more about them. The the interesting thing, you know, on on LinkedIn is if you share something on LinkedIn with a link, the algorithm devalues that post. So they're almost discouraged. The the social algorithm is discouraging you from from providing that attribution, which seems like that's really a sort of a recipe for misinformation. Yeah.
0: Social media algorithms are a whole different beast. Um, You know, Instagram, for example, you can't put a link in your post. You have to put it, you have to always say, like, link in bio, for example. So it's a real disservice to the user. Um, You know, LinkedIn, you can provide the links, but to your point, it devalues it in the algorithm. You know, so for this show in particular, um, you would put, you know, here's the show and then link in comments. And so going into the comments was sort of the workaround to not devalue the post in the
1: algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Talk to us a little bit about zero-click searches. What are they?
0: So, zero-click searches, um, basically, so Google wants you to never leave the Google ecosphere. So, they have their own bubble. They have, you know, all of their different tools, and they don't want to ever take you out of that experience. And so, it's their version of that user experience. And so, if you're looking for how do I set up Google Analytics? They don't want you to come to my website, Trust Insights. They want you to stay within their support.google.analytics or whatever the URL is so that you're never leaving um, their ecosystem and not giving away that traffic to any other company besides themselves. So they're basically being selfish with search traffic.
1: Got it. And what are some of those, you know, talk to us about some of those, Uh, things that they've introduced that provide the user with information without having them leave the site?
0: Um, So things that they've introduced. um, So Google My Business, for example. Um, If you're a business, you can um, apply to Google My Business. And basically what it does is, so let's say you Google Trust Insights, you know, marketing consultancy. What you'll get on, I think it's on the right hand side of the screen, is that little box that gives the information that says, you know, Trust Insights, found it in, here's the location, you know, and then you get those buttons. But their goal is to make sure that you've already gotten all of the information that you need from that box. Um, Other really good examples are the weather, for example. So if you Google the weather, a lot of times before you even hit, you know, enter, it comes up as one of these search results. And so you're like, Oh, it's 42 degrees. I don't even have to go any farther. I don't have to click anything. Same thing with the sports score. So basically they just want to keep you within their search uh, box as long as they possibly can without ever having you click out of it because the longer they keep you there, the more information they're getting from you.
1: And of course, you know, featured snippets and people also ask results or another Other tools that they're using to sort of give us the answers without us leaving Google. Um, exactly. Hey, um, I've got a question. I asked this to everybody. No one's ever been able to give me a, an answer. So maybe there is no answer. Oh, That's what I, I I think <laughs> at this point. Okay. So here's the question: If what is the best tool for creating and managing tracking links to measure traffic from email campaigns? in Google Analytics?
0: So there's a couple of issues with email and Google Analytics straight out of the box. And so the first thing is the configuration of Google Analytics in the channel grouping. So all of the channel grouping configurations right out of the box are incorrect. They're going to recategorize email as social or referral. Um, So even gmail.com, as it comes into your site, is actually gonna be seen as referral traffic, which is incorrect, it's it's email. So the way to fix that first is to refine your channel grouping to account for Yahoo, Gmail, Outlook, whatever the different email providers are and create that um, basically that script to say, anytime you see any of these things, recategorize them as email. So then your data starts to become cleaner as email from your newsletter is coming in to your website. Does that answer your question?
1: Do you, that's huge. Do you have that script? I do. It's ten so, thousand dollars It's ten thousand dollars, really? No, it's not. Wow. Because if you share <laughs> it, we could put it in the post for this uh, for, in the show notes for the blog post.
0: Um, I will I will say that the script that we've created is proprietary. It's something that we share I see. with our clients. it's, it's um, and
1: it's more than just a line or two.
0: Exactly, it's definitely more in depth. Um, what I can say is that the majority of channel groupings straight out of the box of Google Google Analytics are set up incorrectly. So there's at least four or five different channels that you need to resolve in order to be getting that correct tracking information. And then the other side of that conversation is the UTM tracking and making sure that you're using UTM tracking correctly. One of the most common things that we see is that. UTM tracking only considers lowercase. And so if you're putting in like Facebook and you use a capital F, it's automatically going to say, I don't know how to read this.
1: Wow, that's huge. UTM tracking is such a pain in the ass. (laughs) I have to go. I mean, it's just awful. You have to make the freaking tracking link for every different usage and instance. And then there's no way to manage them other than a spreadsheet.
0: So again, something that we've created um, is a, it's not fully automated, but it's basically um, a spreadsheet that automatically creates all of those UTM links. And again, it's something that we share with our clients where it creates the link and it also can create the short link, you know, the bitly link, for example. Um, So you're not going into the UTM code builder one by one by one, you're actually creating all of it within a spreadsheet. And, you know, it is one of the better ways to um, manage all of it, but then the other side of that is um, setting up some sort of automated reporting in Google Data Studio. And so pulling, you know, creating filters, creating those segments, so that you can track all of that, you know, traffic to the different sources of mediums and campaigns and content types.
1: Talk to us about G, uh, Google Analytics Four. What's the big deal?
0: Uh, Google Analytics Four. It's still in its infancy. Um, what we are recommending is that you set up a Google Analytics Four to run in parallel with your Google Analytics, you know, three or classic version. The difference between Google Analytics Three and Google Analytics Four is the way that goals are set up. So in Google Analytics 3, the version that most people are on right now is that you set up a goal in Google Analytics um, within within that platform. And so in Google Analytics 4, all of the goals are set up actually in Tag Manager. And so it's two different systems. And so you have to reset all of the goals, but you can do a deeper dive into the data. You can slice it and dice it, a little bit more discreetly, and you can also uh, utilize BigQuery um, a lot easier with Google Analytics for data. So that's sort of like the you know high-level differences.
1: So you know people look at um, SEO as free because it's it's not paid media, mm-hmm. but there are, obviously there are costs. So what does it cost to be successful in SEO?
0: Well, it's, it's your time, it's your resources. And so it's those soft dollar costs versus the hard dollar costs. So the hard dollar costs might be the utilization of a subscription to a tool like an RFS or a SEMrush. And then the soft dollar costs are how much time your resources are investing in it. So yes, while technically it's a free channel, it's not free in terms of the time that it takes to create really good quality content. And so that's a specialty of, content writers of, you know, editors and technical writers, like it's, you know, I think we were talking about earlier, anybody can write a blog post, but that doesn't mean that it's any good, or that it has really good structure, or that someone's done that in depth SEO keyword research. So it's those soft dollar costs of the time and effort that goes into SEO. Now that said, um, you know, I think a lot of small businesses, for example, feel like SEO is something that's unapproachable because they don't have the big teams. And that's not necessarily true. You really just want to be mindful about what are the things that I, as a business want to be known for, and then create some content, create some pages on your website that answer those questions. And so think about the common questions that people are asking about the type of business that you have. What is a marketing consultancy? What does a marketing consultancy do? And if you can answer those questions, then you're already, um, you know, quote unquote, winning at SEO, because those are the types of questions when people ask those, you want to show up
1: for them in the search results. There zone. are so many small businesses and legacy mid-sized businesses, you know, that want to try to make this happen and they just do not have the resources. And and so if, the, if there was someone who was sort of a woke digital immigrant from that space, <laughs> Who said to you, where do I find, I need to hire writers and and I'm having such a tough time. Where do I go? What would you tell them?
0: I would, I would ask them first, like, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Because the problem may not be that they need writers. It may be that they just need a plan that's outlined a little bit more carefully. let's say it is.
1: Let's say they hired you and gave them a plan. You've got their measurement in order. So they're tracking, right? Their channels reporting correctly. You've given them keywords. You've given them the marching orders. Now they have to execute and they've got Mm -hmm. to build a media company to create, generate media. And they want writers.
0: Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, there's no shortage of really good freelance writers. And I think freelance writers are a really good option because you can get um, really good quality content for not a lot of money. Um, so we had mentioned uh, SEMrush, for example. Um, I believe, I'm, I apologize if I misquote this, but I believe you can get for less than $1,000 um, access for one of their content writers. It's actually, um, Chris is messaging me in the real time. He's saying it's $95 for 1,500 words, which is a substantial blog post. So $95 is not that much.
1: No, it's nothing. But it, are we talking $95 for 1,500 words of nothingness? Or are we talking, you know, 1,500 words that, you know, has an original idea and maybe says something that everyone else isn't saying, you know? I mean, it's you just, there's so much crap out there.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely, you have to be specific about what it is that you're after. Um, but the writing component of Sumrush, for example, gives that structure um, so, as you're doing your keyword research, you can then sort of, you know, toggle over to the content piece of it, and it starts to give you that outline to say these are the questions that you should be answering. These are the things that are most common. You know, do you want to do this yourself, or do you want to have our writer do it for you?
1: So, listen. Thank you so much for coming back. It's been great to have you. Final question: um, At most of the clients you're working with. Are SEO and content marketing disciplines separate or are they handled by the same person?
0: Um, it really depends. It depends on the size of the company. What we often see with enterprise size organizations is that things are very siloed, um, which is a disadvantage. And so if you have a mid sized or a smaller organization where SEO and content marketing are handled by the same person or even the same team, you have a better chance of getting really good quality content. Whereas at uh, a larger organization where you have an SEO team, a content team, a measurement team—all of those things are disconnected. And so, really, you know, unless you know they have a way of sort of a matrix style working together, but ideally there would be some common ground between whoever's doing SEO and whoever's doing content because the two really have to work together.
1: What's the best way for someone to reach out and get in touch with you if they if they wanted to uh, get your help with uh, a project?
0: Well, the website, super simple, trustinsights.ai. Uh, we have contact page. Um, we have a Slack group, trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers. You can hit us up on social media at Trust Insights. I'm at Katie Robert uh, on most social platforms, Twitter specifically. Uh, that's Robert with two Bs, if you're looking for the phonetic. Um, so, yeah, we are very present. Um, so, super easy to find us, trustinsights.ai.
1: And you also do a killer podcast,
0: we do. Uh, In-Ear Insights. It comes out every Wednesday. It's myself and Chris Penn. And most recently we tackled um, Instagram and what's going on with Instagram. So definitely check that one out.
1: Awesome. Wilson. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.